You're listening to the Mind Your Business Podcast, episode number 118. Today, we're talking to an NLP master practitioner on how to get more of what you want. So, stay tuned. Hi, I'm James Wedmore, and I've built a multiple seven-figure internet business that offers the financial freedom to do what I want, when I want. And I'm the first to say that hard work and hustle are not essential ingredients for your success. So how do you build a thriving business from the inside out? Now with over 800,000 downloads, this is the Mind Your Business Podcast. Yes, this is it. You are here. Welcome back. James Wedmore, host of the Mind Your Business Podcast. And I want to take a moment and thank you so much for tuning in, for listening and supporting the show. The feedback on Facebook, on the blog, mindyourbusinesspodcast.com, and even the reviews on iTunes, they just fuel me every day. So thank you, thank you so much for the love, the support, and the share. It really drives this show, and it's just been such an exciting, extraordinary journey. We now have over a million downloads, and we're getting this information into the hands and the ears of those that need it most. And I truly hope at the end of the day, even though I'm attracting all these amazing people to interview and pick their brains, I really hope that every day that I can be the person that leads by example for you. That everything I talk about, although I'm human and I'm by no means perfect, I have my lessons in life to learn (laughs) and I'm learning them every day is that I do my best to practice what I preach. And really, I incorporate so much of this mindset and my spiritual practice and integrate it into me to make it a holistic practice for how I not just run my life, but also run my business. So the podcast is actually really beneficial to me because it holds me accountable. It really does. It puts me on the line a little bit, which is really good. So I hope I'm serving as an example for you. You know, when I first started business, I, had, I, I just came up with this quote and I put it on my whiteboard above my desk and it said, inspire others through my actions. It was based kind of on that concept that actions speak louder than words. And today I've, I still follow that same quote, but I've, you know, I've changed it a little bit. It's inspire others through your being by who you are and how you show up. And I try and do that in every moment of every day. I do that with my team, my wife, with my customers and my listeners, the stuff that we talk about. I just can't stress enough. It's so important. It's so important. I see it all too often where people, when they're not getting results, they think what's missing is that they're not doing enough. They're not working enough. That if they work harder and they work longer and if they find that missing secret seven-step strategy that they found on a webinar, they're going to unlock everything. And I do firmly believe, no, because it's not even a belief. It is a truth. It is a knowing to me that all the answers that we seek come from within and that we already have within us everything that we need 
to get the results and the experiences that we want to have in our lives. And how we tap into that, how we unlock that, is what this show is all about. And I love to tackle it from every angle possible. So today, we're tackling it from another angle. Now, I first stumbled upon NLP, or NLP, (laughs) or Neuro Linguistic Programming, years ago, years ago, when I first got excited about Tony Robbins. I read his books, Awaken the Giant Within, and what was it, Unlimited Power? Something like that. Great books, great books. But I think that Tony Robbins is the one that really popularized NLP in the personal development space. And there's a whole world of people who practice NLP, who use it in every which way. And I have taken a course in the past about NLP, and I'm now currently, based on this interview, going through a program and reading a book on NLP. And it's so fascinating. It is a technology for life that you can use for anything and everything. You can use it. A lot of people use it for sales, you know, and persuasion. You know, then, of course, it goes into the dark side of manipulation and, you know, hypnotically seducing your customers to act on your every whim, which is just a little silly and crazy and out there. But it can be used for so many ways, for coaching, for healing traumas and fears and anxieties, to better communication, to motivation and inspiration, to kicking bad habits and developing new habits. I mean, its applications and uses are unlimited. So why not investigate this topic? Why not begin to learn more about this big, huge, you know, topic? It's just like, volumes of information on it. And let's just dive in. So I stumbled upon a NLP master practitioner. His name is Damon Cart. And the way I stumbled upon him is he's actually one of my customers. And on a coaching call, I found out what he does. And I was so excited, so excited that at first I was like, all right, dude, got to get you on the show. We got to get you to talk about NLP. So that's what this interview is all about. And then of course, the interview was so awesome that I went and invested in his program that he actually talks about in the interview. And I'm going through it myself. And it's huge. There's a ton of content, but it's so powerful. It's so important. I love it. I really do. So I'm really geeking out about NLP. I see the similarities from the spiritual and energy conversation with the NLP conversation. And this is what really geeks me out. This is the thing I love the most is when I see we can tackle this from so many areas, human potential, success, results, whatever, blah, 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 and see the similarities, to see the correlations and the parallels coming from different schools of thoughts and different perspectives. And this is just another one. Okay. So let me tell you a little bit about our special guest here in today's episode. Damon Cart is considered to be a natural talent by some of the best NLP trainers in the world. Located in Santa Cruz, where NLP was actually founded, Damon teaches and coaches clients locally as well as Silicon Valley and throughout the Bay Area. His passion is guiding people through transformation to achieve joy, fulfillment, passion, and greater personal and career performance. Damon certified in hypnosis and as an NLP practitioner three times, 
NLP Master Practitioner twice, NLP Trainer, and NLP Health Certification. His vision is to touch as many lives as possible using NLP to help people actualize their greatest potential. So without further ado, let's play that interview. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with none other than Damon Cart. Damon, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Look, uh, what are we here to talk about? NLP? We're here to talk about NLP. I like it. Now, you warned me before <laughs> before the call started that this is a big topic. And, and we're not, so we don't want to mislead anyone that's like, hey, we're just going to cover everything, anything, and <laughs> all of NLP in the next 40 minutes. Done. But we, we do want to get you know, some of those definitions out of the way, like what the heck is it? And then we'll start diving deeper down the rabbit hole and see where it takes us. So I am very excited. Let's just jump in. I'm curious. I'd love to know for our listeners, someone who's never heard of it before, what is NLP? And I also want to know, how'd you get started with this? Where, where, where'd you come into play with it? All right. Well, NLP, the acronym stands for Neuro Linguistic programming. And when I say that to people, they look more confused <laughs> than just looking at the acronym. Neuro just basically means your five senses, how you take in the world around you. It's the, the way that you gather information through what you see, what you hear, what you feel, you, what you taste and even smell. The linguistic part of it is the language is it reflects a sort of thing that goes on with us. Our language shapes our reality and our reality shapes our language. So when I listen to someone speak, I can get a sense of how they process reality, how they process the world around them. And I can also do this for my own self-talk. So I can also, I can hear my own limitations and then I can counter those limitations by opening up my language. Programming comes from, we create these programs. Our brain is this miraculous machine that can automate so much. And what we've been doing is automating decisions from the time that we're born, we start to learn and we start to generalize and we say, Oh, I've, you know, I've done this before. I've been here before. And so I can automate these decisions. So I don't have to keep remaking the same decisions over and over. It's a way of conserving energy. However, when I automate decisions, when I'm three years old for something, you know, specific, say it's about my toys or something, well, those automated decisions can sometimes not get updated. And now I'm 13 years old, or now I'm 23 or 33. And I'm still on that automated program, that programming needs to be updated. And sometimes they're not. And that's why you see when we run into problems as adults, or we act in inappropriate ways, that an adult shouldn't act, or we have certain problems, that's typically because we have set programs that have not been updated. That's the short version of what yeah. uh, NLP is. It's also an attitude. It's also a mindset. It's also a set of techniques that have been created. It's a technology that has been created out of those mindsets and those understandings. So that's the that's kind of the short version. I'll be opening it up to more as we talk about it because it's better to sort of have context and particular subjects that we can apply it to. Sure, sure. Otherwise, it gets really, really conceptual and or it I, sounds very conceptual well, when it's sure. a very... Oh, sorry, I just, I'm excited to do that. And I'm even just in the definition, there's some stuff I'm eager to unpack. But let's talk about how, how you stumbled upon NLP. How'd you get to, to where you are with it? Well, I guess the first 
time I ever heard of it was my father would listen to Tony Robbins mm -hmm. and I heard this thing come up NLP a few times and I didn't know what it was. And when I was in college, I heard about a professor who was teaching the philosophy of psychology and he would pretty much wrap up the semester by teaching NLP. And I was like, wow, that's, that's that thing NLP again. I want to, I want to check that out. And I was always into psychology, even though I was a film student like you, I went to film school and I went to this course and it was amazing. He started with Freud and then he went through various forms of therapy, including hypnosis. And he taught us hypnosis and we were in, in the class, we were actually hypnotizing each other and it was fascinating. And then he finishes up with, hey, there's this thing called NLP. And what it does is it sort of brings the best of everything, the best models, the most effective models all together. And he taught us a little bit of NLP and it just really sparked my curiosity. And unfortunately, I was living in New Orleans at the time and there was no one teaching it that I could find. And I was also a broke college student, so probably couldn't have afforded it anyway. Well, I was about a year later, a lot of things had happened in my life. I graduated college and I fell into a depression and I didn't know what to do. I didn't have health insurance. I was a, a bartender, wasn't working full time. And so I called on my professor and I said, look, I'm, I'm just depressed. I'm down. I'm the only person I can think of to call. And he said, well, come on in my office and we'll talk. And we didn't really have a session that first time, but he just said, you know, I'm, you, you need to do charity work. I don't want your money. Go do charity work every time you come in for a session and that's how you're going to pay me. And the next week I came in and in one session, and I'm not kidding, in one session I walked out of there, the depression was gone. Wow. Yeah, it just absolutely blew my mind. Once again, I wanted to learn how to do this, but I didn't have, there was no one around to teach it to me. And went on with my life. About 10 years later, I'm living in Santa Cruz, California. I had fallen into depression again, completely different issue. And I went to a traditional psychologist and it took a whole year, yep. <laughs> a whole year versus one session with my professor. And Santa Cruz is where NLP started. And I didn't know that when I moved here. But when I did move here, I was thinking, well, at some point I want to learn NLP. And after a year of being in therapy, I thought, OK, I need something to just like working out. I need something to maintain my mental health and I want to work on my business. I want to get really serious about my business. And I know that NLP can help me with that. And there's a, a training NLP university that happens every summer here in uh, Santa Cruz. And Robert Diltz teaches it with Judith Delosier. And I thought, okay, here we go. I'm going to start learning NLP and I'm going to fix my business and I'm going to be happy and work on my mental and my physical health. And that was the start of it. And I haven't looked back since. After I got out of that first training, I immediately wanted more. So I found another institute. I jumped into their training that I did hypnosis training, and it's just been training nonstop until I started. Well, I still do trainings. I still go as a student, and I also started teaching. That's so awesome. That's so cool. And so many other questions have come up there that I'm super eager to jump at. And it's also fascinating. We both went to film school, and we were both bartenders. Yep. <laughs> That's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. I'm really eager to find out what happened during that session. So hopefully you'll give us a little more insight on this on this call, what some of the technology that's being used there. But to start out, just to double check, like it's not just for people with depression. Oh, absolutely not. There's so many uses for it. Yeah. yeah. I redid my business entirely. And I one of the mindsets that I had, I was another part of NLP is about taking what's happening unconsciously. You know, we're, we're sort of 
we look around or we, we're, we're going through these patterns day to day and we're not getting what we want and we just it, it starts to feel like that's just reality. That's just how it is. What NLP helps you do is it helps you bring those patterns into consciousness. And once you understand or once you're conscious of it, now you can do something about it. And so instead of your programs and your patterns running you, you run the patterns and you run the programs now because now you're conscious of it. As long as they're unconscious, they're going to run you. They're going to control you. So now you become aware of those and then you can change them. There's a term that I've been hearing a lot lately, learned helplessness. It sounds sounds like that's what starts to happen. People, the unconscious blocks or blind spots, people are doing the work and they can't figure out why it's not working. They kind of develop this like, well, that's just the way it is mentality, learned helplessness. And what you're saying is that we can basically become Neo from the matrix and start to see the things, the unseen and reprogram those. You have no idea how accurate that metaphor actually is (laughs) because, and that's what we're doing instead of, and a lot of, I think a lot of people watch, you know, or use that metaphor for their life. And they think that they're stuck in some sort of matrix that is created by something else. But no, we're the ones who create that matrix. And, and that's part of NLP is taking radical responsibility for your reality and for, and for the disposition that you're in and saying, okay, I'm creating this. Mm. And the more I can understand how I'm creating this, the more conscious I can be of it, then the more deliberate and conscious I can be about creating what I want. I love it. I love the, the phrase that you said, radical responsibility. That's not always easy. Yeah, no, <laughs> you found that 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 was challenging for you to like, was that almost like, you know, this thing you had to discover, like, hey, step one, you got to have this radical responsibility. <laughs> Did you resist that? Were you embracing it with open arms? I would say I'm still discovering it. Mm-hmm. I would say that the challenge is always about resistance. And that's part of the hard part about this, because we're comfort seeking beings we want to we want to rest we want to save energy we want to be comfortable and that's usually where the resistance lies in changing and when you're radically responsible or you're that's your practice and your focus that is your biggest challenge is that resistance because it's so much easier to slip into old patterns because they're familiar and it's amazing to watch how people will slip into old patterns that are actually not help not only not helping them but they're even painful but yeah. they, people will put comfort and familiarity even over pain sometimes. Mm, so true. And I think we're all guilty of that. So true. Okay. I want to go back to your definition or back to when you were describing the definition, you know, this very general, what is NLP? And you said something that really fascinated me, which I think is worth noting. You just talked about the concept of, and please correct me if I'm not, if I'm just paraphrasing incorrectly, but how our language shapes our world. Did I say that right? Yes. Okay. And it helps it serves as an indicator to you if you're like talking to someone as to how someone processes reality. So I think that's very fascinating because I think it's all too easy for us to assume that either a we're processing reality all the same way or that there is no way to, that there are no two types of reality. That's just it. Like if I see this, you see that and I assume everyone else sees it that way. Right. But through our language, you are getting clues as to how people are seeing the world differently. Absolutely. And I don't limit language to verbal either. Mm. Your body is a language. Your movements are a language. Your, it's called somatic syntax. 
how somebody moves, how somebody breathes, the direction of their eyes or the movement of their eyes. We look at this in NLP as this is all language. In fact, we communicate far more physiologically than we do just from our words. And our words also, you know, are, are important too. And the, and the tonality of our voice, that's also important. That's also another part of the language. And what, what I do a lot of is, and this is a skill in NLP, we call it sensory acuity or calibration when we calibrate states. It's very important to pay attention to this. And it's basically paying attention to the language that people are speaking that everyone else is typically not paying attention to. And if you've met people who are really intuitive, a lot of times this is exactly what they're doing. However, they're unconscious of it. They're unconscious of it and they notice things that are happening or they're picking up on this language that the person's giving them that goes beyond the verbal. And so they're picking up the person's ideas. They're sort of modeling them. They're sort of stepping into their world. And this is what makes people seem very intuitive. Now, if you're in NLP, you can be very conscious of it if you practice this. And so I might see somebody tilt their head a certain way. Now, I'm not going to draw a conclusion about that. I'm not going to say, oh, she tilted her head that way. That must mean X, Y, Z or what have you. What I am going to do is I'm going to look at that and I'm going to say to myself, what does that mean? And then I'm going to hand that question to my unconscious. I don't want to tie my conscious mind up with that question because I need to also be listening to the person consciously as, you know, if I blanked out on what they were actually telling me and just started looking at their physiology, yeah. then I would probably come off as being very rude and like I'm not listening to them because I'm missing everything that they're saying. So you have to be conscious and unconscious about it. And it's amazing when you give that question to your unconscious, how it will come up with good information. And it's not the quick let me make a snap judgment or conclusion that the conscious mind does. It's more of bringing possibilities as to what that other person is experiencing and communicating. Wow. Okay. So you also mentioned, and this is so, so fascinating to me, that it's, it's like a feedback loop, right? So our language is shaping our world, but the world is shaping our language. Did you say it like that? Yeah, it's happening both in both directions. Okay. Can you... I know you started to give a, a really good example with like the head tilt. Do you have another really specific way of how you've experienced this maybe with a client or a, a student or something? I mean, the thing that comes to mind and this, I mean, this is, this is happening a lot when I have coaching clients and I hear what they're telling me, but their body is doing something different. Mm-hmm. Actually, I guess one, uh, one uh, fascinating one, which I didn't expect this kind of came out of nowhere. I was, doing something in my business, which is not my NLP business, a separate business. And there was a supervisor involved who is a part of the overall company, but I'm an independent contractor, so I can do what I want as long as I stay within my contract. But I was doing something she didn't want me to do. The company kind of frowned upon, but it was perfectly legal and above board. And so she was giving me all these, telling me these stories about another agent who had done the same thing. And it was very, very vague. So I started using what they call meta model questions in NLP. There's a model called the meta model. And it's about getting very specific. So I started throwing these meta model questions at her and her story started falling apart. And this is one of the ways you can tell if someone's trying to deceive you. And I started watching her physiology. Every time she told me something that fell apart, I noticed a little twitch in her eye right below. It was her left eye and it was just below the right below the eye. And so she's telling me all these things. And so I backed off. I didn't want to seem like I was interrogating her too much. And I backed off of it. And then I started telling a story about someone who told me something that wasn't true. And it was like a completely random story. And I just I looked at her and I said, and he lied to me. 
<laughs> and then her her eye twitched right when I said that, and that let me know that everything that she had been telling me was not true. Wow, Damon, you're like a wizard. <laughs> that is the coolest thing I've ever heard. That is so awesome. Can you like what's an example of one of these meta model questions? Well, there's I believe there's 14 patterns, and then the the model has been expanded. But the, probably the two most important patterns are modal operators and universal quantifiers. When somebody uses one of these language patterns, it lets me know that we've reached sort of the limitation of their map of the world or their model of reality. So a modal operator is when someone says, I can't, I must, I have to, I should. And this is very parental. And we, we often do that to ourselves. We parent ourselves and we say, oh, well, I can't do that. You know, I can't ask my boss for a raise. I have to go to, I have to work a regular nine to five job. I can't, it's impossible for me to open my own business. So when somebody uses language that like that, that's called a modal operator. I, you then want to challenge it and just say things like, well, what if you could? Mm. So what this, what's happening is this person sort of trapped in these limiting beliefs and they've added meaning to that by taking experiences that they've had and generalizing them all together and saying, okay, well, this is how things are. The thing that can pull us out of that is our imagination. And when you employ your imagination, it's simply just challenging that belief and saying, well, what if you could? What if you could ask your boss for a raise? What would that be like? And it gets the person to start to imagine, okay, well, yeah, okay, so there's this limitation. But let's just say we're, we're just going to fantasize for a moment. What, it, what would it be like? And they start to imagine it. And now they start to actually create sensory experience in their mind. They start to see themselves walking up to their boss, they hear their voice as they're asking their boss for that raise. Now it starts to become real to them. So now you're, you're helping them break out of their model, their uh, limitation of, in that model of reality. Now the universal quantifier is when people are overgeneralizing. You know, somebody cuts them off in traffic and they go, ah, oh, nobody knows how to drive. You know, <laughs> they, somebody, you know, you get your heart broken and you say, oh, all women are like this. You know, you, you overgeneralize it and then you can challenge it by saying, well, Really? You know, in traffic, um, nobody, nobody else knows how to drive. You're the only person that knows how to drive. Or, you know, really all women do, you know, all women lie or whatever. And you start challenging it. What the person has to do is they have to go back into themselves and say, well, okay, yeah, you know, that isn't absolutely true. And then you're inviting them to come up with counterexamples to the overgeneralization they've made. Man, I love that. And I, I love what you talked about, the role that imagination plays in, in breaking you free from that. I actually just posted a quote that I just fell in love with. Uh, it's by Lewis Carroll. And it says, imagination is the only weapon in the war against reality. So That's good. great. Yeah. yeah. Even Einstein said that he would take his imagination and creativity over his intelligence any day. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. So do you feel like today you need an NLP coach or can you coach yourself? I do both, but I, I, I also like the challenge of being or being challenged by a coach. Mm. So I typically I don't I wouldn't say I carry I, don't, I wouldn't say I have a coach all the time. And I also like to switch coaches because every coach is going to reflect something different. So I can I'm certainly, I guess, proficient enough to coach myself. And that's really where you want to be when you get into NLP. You want to you want to be able to use NLP effectively with others and also with yourself. If, uh, what I find a lot of times is people are really effective using it with others or they're really effective using it with themselves. But a lot of there's, there's very few people who actually practice it both ways. And what I found, especially when I first started, was 
it was hard to find people before I became a coach and before I started teaching it. It was hard to find people who would let me do these processes with them. They thought it was some sort of voodoo or, mm-hmm. you know, that it is linked to hypnosis. There's a lot of hypnosis mm-hmm. in NLP. And it, so it kind of scares people sometimes. So I did a lot of it. I did a lot of work on myself and I, I probably got I was better with using it with my by myself or on myself than I was with other people. And then finally, I decided, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to start coaching and see how this goes. And I really enjoyed it. So I, st- I built up that ability with for doing it with others as well. And I also brought it into sales because it's part of any mm-hmm. business and had a lot of fun with actually bringing it in, in the sales. It's amazing how well you can get to know people. And that's really the key to sales is good rapport and trust. Wow. So well, you've already started to answer the, my next question, which is, Clearly, you've used it a lot in all areas of business. What would you say are the the main areas uh, or areas of impact that NLP has had in in starting and growing your businesses? Communication is is almost everything, you know, in business, and and it's you could say it. I mean, it's, it has so much to do with pretty much everything. How well you can communicate, and the most successful people, however you gauge success, you know, not just in money and having big, bright, shiny objects, but in just getting what you want. Communication is the most common factor among all successful people. And with NLP, because there's that language aspect of it and other things as well, state management and projecting your state onto other people, gaining rapport, communication has been by far the most useful tool in NLP that I've used in business and especially in sales. And it makes it just it makes it a lot more fun. Hmm. Uh, it's sales before I used NLP was more felt like pressure. It felt like, oh, I have to do this. And it, there was always a feeling of like, well, you know, I don't know if the person wants what I want to sell. And, you know, there's all this like internal dialogue that was messing me up. And using NLP, I was able to clear that out and then also really spend time gaining rapport and gaining trust with people, which means you genuinely and sincerely need to get to know them so that you can understand their world. And when you understand their world, then you can communicate their language. And when you do that, I mean, the sky's the limit. You can really understand people well enough to lead them where you want them to go. And what also happens, too, because that can sound a little bit manipulative, when you gain that kind of trust with someone, you're also being very sympathetic to them so that it's really, it, it would be, I don't want to say it's impossible because then, you know, as soon as you say that, you can say, oh, that's, well, of course it's possible. You'd have to be a sociopath to yeah. misuse it. You'd have to really be one of those people who doesn't mind betraying people's trust. And I actually don't, I'm, it's very rare. Those people are very, very rare. And so taking the time to really get to understand someone in their world through rapport, through language, and then just really helping them get what they want. And a lot of times you can align that with what you want, which is getting the sale and providing the service or the product that they want and getting your sales goals met. That's so great. So for our listeners who are entrepreneurs, they're business owners who've now been introduced to this huge umbrella topic, what rabbit hole do you want to go down? What what's <laughs> one little area that we could, that we could explore further? Well, Identity and beliefs have always been fascinating to me, even before I got into NLP. And I, well, I guess early on, you, when you start doing, I guess, your practitioner level, you don't really get into that too much. And when you start getting into master practitioner, that's when you start dealing with more beliefs and the identity level. 
and how NLP can code how we create identity. And I had reached a plateau and my understanding of NLP and my practice in NLP, and I really felt like I stagnated. This is about, this is a few years ago. And it's one of those amazing things. You know, it's a cliche, but it's so true. When the student is ready, the teacher arrives. And a few years ago, that teacher for me was a guy by the name of Steve Andreas. Him and his wife, Connie Ray Andreas, wrote some of the first, what I say, the first readable books of NLP. The books before that were, they read more like textbook engineering manuals. And Steve and Connie Ray really brought a human side to NLP training, and their focus was a little bit more therapy. And they really evolved and created models for NLP. And one of the models that Steve Andreas created was the self-concept model. And it was, it was exactly what I was looking for. And it basically takes the identity or the ego or whatever, you, whatever word you give it and looks at it as a generalization. And that's what it is. It's a generalization of all of your experiences. At a lower logical level than that is a smaller category called qualities. And that is what you believe you are, the qualities that make up who you are. I'm nice. I'm kind. I'm an intelligent person. I'm funny. It's also the, you could say the counter qualities or the negative qualities, which is I'm not kind or I'm cruel. It's all the, it's all the, the positive and the negative qualities we assign to ourselves. If you go to a, a lower categorization than that, a finer categorization than that, it's our raw data of experience. We take these experiences, we generalize them together and we say, oh, well, I am this quality. And then if you take enough of those qualities and you generalize those, then you've got an identity. Now, here's the real interesting thing. Meta two, the identity is your self-esteem. It is how I feel about myself. It is how I feel about the generalization that I make about myself. Mm. So just follow me for a second yeah, here. I know yeah. this gets a little drawn out. So if I have values and my say I value kindness and I and and I act in a way that is kind and I believe myself to be kind then that is a quality that I possess I'm going to experience high self-esteem now if I value kindness and I do something that I believe was cruel or not kind I'm going to experience low self-esteem so it's an understanding your values and it's, it's amazing to me now because I've been doing this for years. But if I look back, I mean, I, I hadn't done this before I did NLP training. Most people don't know what their values are. It can change your life just to sit down and elicit what your values are. And when you know what your values are, this is basically what will fulfill you. When you behave in a way that aligns with your values, you will experience a strong sense of self and you will experience high self-esteem. Mm. So let's, this is great. And no, I totally follow this. The identity is this generalization that we have about ourselves based on qualities and, and our experiences and all that stuff. Self-esteem is how I feel about that generalization. And the values are these things that are important to us. And whether or not we're in alignment or congruent with those values is going to determine our self-esteem. Yes. And you want to know the best part? Yes. So if you elicit your values and you say, well, okay, I value kindness, but I don't feel like I'm a kind person. I must have to go out and gather or start getting all these experiences of being kind. I need to go out and act like I'm a kind person so that I can gather enough experiences so that I can feel kind. That's where a lot of people think or that's, how, that's where their mind goes. It's not true. You already have all of the raw data of experience 
to be that kind person. If you don't feel like you're a kind person, it's because the way you've coded your experiences, have co- you've coded them in such a way that you feel like you're not a kind person. I can sit with you for an hour and I can help you recode experiences so that you find true experiences, things that you've actually done. I can help you recode them. And by the time we're done, it usually takes about an hour, you will know and believe and congruently feel that you are a kind person. And if that is in alignment with, if that's something you value, you will immediately experience a high level of self-esteem. Mm, that's awesome. So there's no, we don't have to go out and do anything to fix ourselves necessarily. Right. I love it. How, and it's a, it's a feed forward system too. If you believe you are kind, you're more likely to continue behaving in that way. Yes. I love it. So could you take us through like some steps on how to start eliciting values? Yeah, it's, it's really simple. You take something, anything that you want, and it can be, you know, usually when I ask, when I'm already engaged in a conversation like this and somebody asks me that question that you just asked, I say, well, what do you want? They tend to go really high level. You don't need to go high level. You can say, I want to, I want a hundred thousand dollars a year. You can start off with something very basic, very simple. And all you have to do is just say to yourself, or if you're eliciting it from someone else is what would that do for you? Or what's important about that? Mm. And you just keep going until you can't go any further. And it becomes more and more abstract, but it gets up to, you know, levels of like passion and freedom and joy. You know, these are very nonspecific, high level, abstract concepts, but you know what they mean to you. And, And when you elicit those values, you tend to experience them as you elicit them. So it feels really good while you do it. Can we, can you use me as an example live on the call? Absolutely. Okay. So something I want, uh, yeah, what do you, want? Is you a, already have the Tesla, right? Yeah, I got the Tesla. <laughs> now I need the garage to put it in. My wife and I are like big goal is a, is a house in our dream town of Laguna beach. Wonderful. So you, you're looking for that dream home. Yeah. Okay. Well, what would that do for you if you had it? I think there is the, 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 what I would label as is kind of a superficial reason is there is a sense of, of accomplishment in that. So on one level, there's a level of status and a, a major physical like manifestation of accomplishment. I think at a deeper level, I'm looking for more expansiveness and comfort in, in a sacred space for me. Wow. Okay. You're making my job pretty easy because you're, <laughs> you're going up the levels <laughs> okay, already. Sorry, sorry. Well, well that, no, it's fine. Let me ask you, what's more important? If you, had, if you could only have one, what's more important, the accomplishment or the status? The accomplishment. So the accomplishment's more important. So having that dream home will give you a sense of status. More importantly, it'll give you a sense of accomplishment. Yes. And when you have that sense of accomplishment... Does that already make you feel like you're going, you're like you're already going to have that sacred comfort or that sacred space, or is there something you need in between? Hmm. I'm not. Like, are they linked? Is that what you're asking? Well, let me let me back up. Yeah. So, what what is important about that sense of accomplishment? I don't know. It's it it there. Is, I I can't explain it, but it does feel like a oh, you've made it. You know, like it seems like something you you grow up as it sounds silly, you know, as as like, well, that's you know, that's the American dream. And I laugh at that and question it all the time. But I don't know. There, to me, there's something about 
owning your home and it, and it's like, you know, your dream home and it's something you're proud of and it's something that you wake up in every day. Oh, nice. How does that feel as just as you're talking about it? <sighs> it feels comforting. It feels safe. I feel a lot of pride. Yeah, I think to be able to provide for my wife and any potential future family, there's a lot of like pride there. So I don't know if your listeners are noticing if there's any NLPers on the call, there's a very distinct difference in the tone of your voice and you've slowed down a little bit. Mm. So that tells me you're accessing the state. That's why I asked. Mm. Oh yeah, I hit it. I felt it. (laughs) Man, I felt it. Yeah. So one of the things that I would do if we were working on this is I would ask you and, um, well, let me just ask you, James, do you feel accomplished? I do. I do. (laughs) I know it sounds like I'm hesitating. And even though you say it, it sounds like I don't. No, I do. So I I would say there there is a little bit of a hesitation, which doesn't mean you don't feel accomplished. It just means that there's probably some other work there. There's probably some high criteria that you have that, yes, you feel accomplished. You're you're not going to beat yourself down until you get that higher accomplishment you're you're feeding which is a very healthy thing you're you're feeding that that accomplishment part of you so you know I, I could go more into well how do you know when you're accomplished you know we could go into some criteria or we could go into more of the quality of feeling accomplished and what, then what I would start doing is start eliciting those experiences of times in your life when you felt accomplished and then I mean it, it gets a little more complex I sure. would start getting into your timeline and finding out, okay, are there any areas in your timeline that seem to, that you didn't have this? And then we go and explore that and we start pulling through these memories. And also, let let me ask you this. When I, when you say, yes, I feel accomplished and I want more accomplishment, what images are you seeing? Hmm. You know, I, I didn't have much of an image at all. Okay. They're there. So when you think about that accomplishment and being accomplished and you're feeling that, that feeling, just take a moment. and Yeah. Well, when I, when I felt in the state, I, Mm -hmm. I had images of me in the home and I'm like looking out on this balcony with an expansive ocean view. And there's definitely those images. But when you asked me, like, do you feel accomplished now? I think I just like, the only image was like me sitting at my desk where I am right now, (laughs) you know? And that's like, as I'm hearing you talk Damon, like, I don't know if I have that indicator in place that measures accomplishment, you know, like, how do you know that you've, it's like, well, how, maybe I'll, maybe I'll get the house and I'll be like, boy, I don't know if I feel accomplished, you know? And I know that could be a dangerous cycle. Well, it's important to know what your criteria is of that value as well. And that's when we kind of back up and we say, okay, well, how, you know, how would you know it if you were accomplished? If you were accomplished right now, how would you know it? Yeah, I don't, I don't think I have an accurate criteria. So I think you have some homework now. Yeah, yeah. No, this is great. This is great. Look, I love opening myself up to be coachable like this. And so I appreciate you allowing me to put you on the spot a little bit. To, to Absolutely. I love this stuff. This, yeah, it's so good. It's so good. Okay. You talked about, so look, I, I mean, we're, we're going all over the place, but this is great. We talked about eliciting values. Was there something in that that you shared that was like, oh yeah, you heard from me. Like that's one of his values. 
Well, I mean, you said them and you can hear your voice leaning on them, you know, status, accomplishment. Well, you said dream home. That was the first thing you then there's something about comfort. Comfort came up a few times. Mm-hmm. And by the way, if I was trying to sell you a home and I had elicited your values, basically ask, you know, I could have asked if I were your real estate agent, I could have asked you those same questions. And then I could just say, you know, bring you to a house and, you know, you'd have to already kind of like the house. I couldn't just do this with any old house, but yeah. I could say something like, you know, wouldn't it feel great and how accomplished and the status you would feel in, in this very comfortable home. It's almost like your sacred space. You know, I would feed this back to you. <laughs> sneaky, sneaky realtor. <laughs> That's great though. Okay. So, so to recap, you start to elicit your values from identifying the things that you want and digging a little bit deeper to find out, well, why do you want those things? What's so important about that? Or what do you believe you will have or experience when you get those things? One of the things I noticed about you is, as I would, like I, would, I was saying before, I think you do feel accomplished. And I think what that hesitation is about is I think my guess would be, and I am mind reading a bit here, so sure. feel free to correct me, is that you don't want to allow yourself to feel too accomplished because then you might not continue to accomplish. Would that be true? I think I, I think there's a definite fear that like, yeah, you know, what else drives you? And if not something like that, yeah. Yeah. So that, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I'm just, you know, that hesitation might've only been that because I, I think just listening to your voice as you were talking about feeling accomplished, I mean, you were obviously feeling it just in talking about it. And that's the other thing that I wanted to bring up is that we project onto objects like money, like a home, intangible ideas, like a relationship, a marriage. We project on these things, onto these things, you know, that we want these things and we want them because, we're projecting a state that when I have that thing, I will then be able to experience a particular state I want to experience. But the truth is, is you can experience that right now. And obviously you were experiencing that just as you were talking about it. And what's important to know about that is we have something we want, whether that is a tangible object or an intangible idea. So we might want a house, we might want money, we might want a relationship. And what we're doing is we're projecting onto that object or that idea something, a state that we want to experience. And we've told ourselves or we presuppose when I have that thing or when I have that idea or, you know, when I have that relationship or when I have that money, then I would then I can experience this state or the state that I want to experience. But it's obvious you can experience it without having that object. And it's obvious that if I'm projecting it onto an object, what you're doing is if I can project the state that I want to feel on an object, then I must be able to feel or experience that state already. But I've sort of convinced myself that I need that object or I need that idea. I need that relationship. I need that money to experience what it is I want to experience. But if I can project that, that's coming from me. So I can experience that now. And understanding that, I can give myself that feeling now which makes me feel more whole, more fulfilled, and more resourceful. And when I'm more whole, more fulfilled, and more resourceful, I'm much more likely to get what I want. Mm. So it's kind of a paradox (laughs) at the same time. But if you feel accomplished right now, it's probably going to be a lot easier for you to accomplish more than if you don't feel accomplished now. And you have this idea that when you accomplish something, then you'll get to have that great feeling of feeling accomplished. I love this. And I think this is such a fascinating concept. And I've heard it, you know, here we hear it through the lens of NLP. 
I've heard it through, you know, spiritual conversations. We've heard it through people talking about like your state of being, all these different ways. And I just keep hearing this. To me, it's the same message, uh, maybe different words, but be in the state of what you think that thing you want is going to bring you anyway. And feel it now, be it now, live as if it's now. There's a great quote I've shared in the past. Live your life like the ball's in the cup. Act as if. So you're telling me in short that that's a big part of the work. Absolutely. It's a state of what we call a state of excellence. And Mm. you often will need in, in accomplishing something or creating what you want. You do have to contextualize it in each context will have sort of a different state of excellence. It'll have a different quality. And so you can create multiple states of excellence depending on what context you're trying to accomplish something in or, or you're trying to create something. So can you continue to make a little bit of an argument for why someone would need to get into the state of excellence before they have the thing? Because I, I've, I've talked about this on previous episodes and I think it's a fascinating observation. It's an observation I've had with myself a lot that we kind of are wired, like when we get frustrated, when we get angry, that I feel like by default we're wired that if I get angry or upset, it will change my circumstances, right? Like when you're in traffic and you start punching the (laughs) steering wheel, like you think that that will, there is a part of you that thinks like this will do something, otherwise I wouldn't be doing it. And it's a silly part. And so here, like imagine you have this person who's just like, you know, metaphorically punching the steering wheel because they're jammed up and they're not seeing progress. And you would come to them and, you know, obviously through your technology and your work, get them to that state. But why? Why choose this state of excellence over being pissed off? Like sometimes it's nice to just punch a steering wheel. (laughs) Especially if you live in Southern California. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Well, it, it, yeah, that, that's a good question because it, it really depends on what do you want. And I'm not going to try to change someone. Here's the thing. You know, people come to me sometimes and you can only really, NLP will only help you if you want something. If you don't want anything, then there's really no use for NLP. And, uh, you know, I guess for a therapist, they have to deal with people sometimes, especially if they're like a social worker and they're dealing with people who are now in sort of a a government system that they have to help. That's really challenging. I admire those people so much because what they have to do is they have to work with people who don't really want to change. Cool thing that I get to do is I get to work with people who do want to change. And sometimes I get people who they don't really want to change. They just want me to help them tolerate their problems better. They don't (laughs) actually want to solve the problem. You'd be surprised how many people come to me for that. And I, I basically tell them, no, that's not what I do. But actually, there's a market for that. There's plenty of people who will do that for people because there's people who want it. Yeah. And I don't judge it. I just say, you know, that's not what I do. So if you're punching your steering wheel in traffic and you're perfectly okay with that, I'm not going to try to tell you otherwise. Right. <laughs> but if you come to me and you say, hey, I get stressed out in traffic, it ruins my day. It takes so much energy out of me. Uh, you know, that's I can help a person out. But again, it goes back to is, is that what they want? You know, so if they if they don't want it, then, you know, they're fine with how it is. That makes sense. But you are saying that if I get into this state of excellence, I'm more likely to get to the result than if. Well, I'm- absolutely. Because what we're talking about here, there's a presupposition. If there's anything 
there's a, there's a resource that we don't have, well, we can always go out and get it, cultivate the skill, go find somebody who has it, hire them, you know, what have you. So a state of excellence is basically putting you in a state where you have access to that resource. Because if you're angry, if you're angry and you're punching the steering wheel of your car, you probably aren't able to focus very well and drive very well, which could create a safety problem. Mm. So when you're angry like that, anger is actually just a very sharp focus. And when you're too sharply focused in one direction, which in this case is on a uh, emotion, then you can't access your other resources because you've blocked them out. So a state of excellence is I'm going to take a situation, a context, maybe that's sales, maybe that's in my business, and I'm going to look at that and say, okay, what do I value here? And that's my guide. If I know what my values are here, then I know the direction I'm going in. Then I need to know the criteria. How will I know when I have that value? And then I say, okay, what do I need that maybe I'm not already accessing? What do I need in that situation? Which resources are going to serve me the best in accomplishing or fulfilling my values in this situation? And it could just be one resource. It could be three resources. And what then I would help the person do is sort of pre-program themselves for that situation using that resource. So when they walk into that situation, they don't even have to think about it. The resource is there. It's available to them. And they naturally go into that state of excellence. Wow. That's so awesome. This has been so fantastic, Damon. Now, before we run out of time, I do want to let our listeners know that you've got something very special going on for those who are listening to this as it comes out. Do you want to speak about your training, your class that you're putting on right now? Sure. I did something. I I do like to challenge myself. I do like to get myself into bigger situations than I realize. And (laughs) I decided to do the biggest practitioner training that I know of in the world. I don't think that they are doing 24-day practitioner trainings anymore for NLP. In fact, sometimes they've squeezed them down to one week, which basically means there's no way you can learn NLP in a week. And what I did was that I stretched it over eight months, and I'm doing a, a live training where I do one weekend a month for eight months. Concurrently, though, I'm also creating the online training. Now, it just so happens that I'm at the beginning of this process and I've only released one module to the people who have already signed up and registered and the next module will come out probably in a week. So what I had done is I closed the gate and I said, okay, you know, I've got enough people in who are doing this and I'm not taking any more. But when we were talking earlier, before we actually started casting here, I thought, you know what, well, we could probably use more people or have more people come in to the program and they could probably catch up because I've only, like I said, I've only released one module. So if there's anyone listening who's interested in that, I'll go ahead and open the gate to you guys and gals if you're interested in taking an online practitioner training. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm creating it concurrently, so it's going to be stretched out over eight months. I do two live coaching calls a month for the online students so that they can ask me questions and I can make sure that they're actually learning the material and are able to implement it. I have a Facebook group as well, and I, I'm, I'm in there a lot answering questions and helping people out to make sure that they are getting this and, and really learning it and implementing it in their lives. So if you are interested in something like that, you can email me, uh, Damon, D-A-M-O-N, at nlp-gym.com. Awesome, Damon. Thank you so much for doing that. I'm definitely interested myself. And we will make sure to link up all of Damon's contact information below. He's making a very special offer and invitation just for you guys, listeners of the Mind Your Business <laughs> podcast. 
And so if any of the things that Damon has spoke about has piqued your interest like it has mine and you want to investigate these topics further, I would definitely check out Damon's work, what he's up to, because this stuff has just been so mind-blowing for me the past hour. Even just like have you do some work on the spot. It was so so great to see like your level of listening and the attention to detail you play when you take on that NLP coach role. So really exciting. Before we finish, is there anything else that you feel like you want to share or any final words in order to call this episode complete? Sure. Yeah, I would. uh, This might sound I hope this doesn't sound contradictory to everything. So, of course, I really enjoy NLP. And for a time, I've got pretty geekish and obsessive about it. So what I would say for people who are interested in learning NLP don't do that. <laughs> actually, actually, what, what NLP should be doing for you is exactly that. It should be doing something for you. It, it should use it as a tool. And as you grow with it, if it seems to continue to make sense, then use it and, and make sure it's serving you in your life. It's not you're not trying to bend yourself or contort yourself into a model or a system. It's there to help you. So as you learn it, use it as a tool and then it can grow to being more than just a tool. But don't become so obsessive about it and don't become an extremist about it. There are plenty of other disciplines out there. There are plenty of of other practices out there that are just as valid. And as you learn NLP, you can actually use NLP to learn those other disciplines. And then as you learn other disciplines, you can actually turn that back on to NLP and understand NLP better. So in other words, do not limit yourself to one system, not even NLP. Mm, Wow. It's still, it seems so powerful. You're using NLP to learn a different system. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Anywhere else we can, we can go just to like, just binge on the stuff you've got about it. I feel like yeah. we can just talk. For uh, hours. Well, I have to, so I'm going to say this to you. Thank you so much for your YouTube program. That was mm. how I found you. Yeah. And it was by implementing what I learned in that YouTube program that my NLP channel took off. And awesome. yeah, I did a ch- Like I said, I like to challenge myself. Uh, April of last year, I decided to do a video every single day for YouTube on my YouTube channel, wow. NLP Gym YouTube channel. I was able to sustain that for eight months. So I've got a ton of video out there. And of course, the videos got better after I took your, your training <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and was able to understand how to make a better YouTube video. And of course, you know, just after doing it so much, I, I got better at it. And so I'm, I don't turn out as many videos as I used to, but I, I do have a ton of material out there. Fantastic. We'll link that up for you guys as well in the show notes. Damon, thank you again. This has been fantastic. I feel like I could just talk to you for hours. I want to be mindful of your time. If you guys are interested in taking Damon's NLP practitioner course, it's eight months. So it's, you know, no funny business here. This is <laughs> this is for realsies. You're going to message Damon individually if you're serious and you want to be a part of this group. It sounds very exciting. And if you just want to binge watch some of his videos, head on over to youtube.com and we'll link it up, of course. But NLP Gym is Damon's YouTube channel. Thank you again, Damon. This has been wonderful and extremely fascinating. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. We will see you all next week. Same time, same place on the Mind Your Business podcast. Take care. Are you a coach, course creator, or online influencer looking for an easier way to expand your reach, help more people, and get paid while you do it? 
I've built a multiple seven-figure business around my content, courses, memberships, and mastermind. And I'm going to give you the exact processes that show you how I did it. So if you currently feel stuck, stagnant, overwhelmed, or coursed the F out, this is the training that's going to graduate you from student mode into action mode. To join the party absolutely free, simply visit www.jameswedmore.com forward slash go.